This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Well, amen. Let's take God's Word and find, if you would, in the Old Testament, the book of Joshua. We come to Joshua chapter uh, number 24 this morning. And today, of course, is Father's Day. And I have a message uh, for fathers. That means it's a message to fathers and a message in support of fathers. We find ourselves living in a day when uh, social engineers are telling us that uh, the father is no no longer necessary in a in a in a home setting, and marriage is something that's been redefined. In fact, uh, gender is something that's been redefined, and uh, we've been opened up in this this society to uh, whatever comes out of the imagination of whoever sits in the seat of uh, academia or who sits in the seat of political power or who uh, sits in the seat of journalism. Uh, They are telling us uh, how we should conduct our lives and what society should be uh, defined by. And we have forgotten that God, who is the author of life, uh, he has designed all of life and he designed the home and he designed that fathers be in the home. Now, we also understand that not all fathers are in their homes, and some of those situations uh, cannot be helped, but we understand that there are others that can be. And uh, may God help the men of this church uh, to be the fathers that God has called us to be and to teach our children and especially to teach our sons uh, to be the men that God would have them to be and to be the husbands and fathers that they should be. You see, as goes the family, goes the society. And uh, if you look at what's happening in our society, you understand there is a great need uh, for fathers today to be present and to be active. And so as we've learned in recent weeks with COVID-19, there have been a, a number of businesses that have been, uh, and activities that have been designated by our leaders as essential. And uh, some of those decisions they have made are quite puzzling, right? Uh, we all understand healthcare workers are essential and uh, that uh, you have to have groceries and you have to have certain household items. Those are definitely essential. Uh, but uh, the liquor stores have been deemed as essential. Abortion clinics have been, dece- have been deemed as essential, uh, but churches have not been deemed as being essential, at least until recently. And I want you to know that the church is essential, and I know that everyone here understands that. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't have had a break for a period in, in attendance. That doesn't mean that we should not be responsible. We certainly seek to do that. But in a society that is falling apart, that is in a state of turmoil, when you have anarchy in the streets, when you have 
So many mixed messages. Uh, we understand that church is essential. I want you to know that the family is essential. And as goes the family, goes the nation. And uh, no doubt about it, our nation is in trouble because our families are in trouble. And not only is the family essential, but I want to say that fathers are essential. And uh, so may God help us this morning as we look at Joshua 24 and we think of this thought, fathers are essential. Now, not everyone in this room has had the privilege of growing up in a home where you've had a good dad or maybe you've not had a dad uh, in your home. And I'm thankful for the women who have uh, raised their children without the aid of a father and have done admirable jobs. I'm thankful for the grandparents who stepped in and church members who stepped in in those roles. But we understand that God's model is the model of a father and a mother together raising their children and teaching their children the truths of God's word and equipping them uh, to be citizens uh, who will uh, contribute to the good of society. And so to do so, we understand that fathers are essential. As we come to Joshua chapter number 24 and verse number 1, we find that Joshua has gathered all the tribes of Israel together. He's called them to Shechem and called the elders. The Bible says in verse 1, he's called the elders of Israel and of their heads and for their judges and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. So Joshua has called all the people together. He has especially called the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of the people together. Uh, Joshua is coming now to the end days of his life. And he has been a faithful servant of the Lord. And as he is preparing for the end of his life, he is concerned for the generation that will follow him. He is concerned about the people uh, following God in the remaining days and teaching the next generation to do so. I think the older we get, the more we understand the brevity of life and the cycles of life. And we understand that, uh, as James said, your life is just a vapor that appears for a short time. And we only have a little bit of time, a small window of opportunity to influence uh, the next generation. And so Joshua is concerned about that. In verses 2 through 13, Joshua outlines to the people the faithfulness of the Lord. From the time that he called Abraham, uh, in supplying uh, the son of promise, Isaac, and then in Jacob, uh, choosing through Jacob to bless the nation and establish the nation of Israel, and, and then uh, to see that God delivers them out of Egyptian bondage. And he gives them a leader named Moses who will lead them out and to supply their needs throughout their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and to perform the promise that he had made that he would bring them into the land and that they would live in that land and experience and enjoy the blessings of God. And what more do we want for our children but to know the Lord and to live a life where they experience and enjoy the blessings of God. And so as a father... As a leader, Joshua has gathered the people together. In verse number 14, he delivers the, to them the message on his heart. Notice it, if you would, please, in verse number 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. 
and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve you the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether it be the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What a wonderful statement. What a, what a, what a wonderful proclamation for any father to make. As for me and for my house, we will serve the Lord. And we understand that Joshua and his house served the Lord. In fact, we understand that as long as Joshua was alive, the entire nation of Israel followed the Lord. But there came a day when Joshua died. And not only did Joshua die, but eventually all the men, all of those men, uh, all of those elders who had, had, had lived at the time of Joshua, who had been directly influenced by him, they also died. And the Bible tells us in the book of Judges, chapter 2 and verse number 10, the Bible says, and also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And thus began a cycle in the nation of Israel, in their history, a, a period that one could call the dark ages of the nation, where they continued in their immorality and in their, uh, in their uh, idolatry. They turned away from the Lord, and God brought judgment upon them. Uh, the nations that surrounded them would take them and conquer them and, and, and place them in bondage. And eventually they became so desperate in their bondage that they would remember to turn to the Lord. And when they would turn to the Lord, the Lord would hear their cry and God would send a deliverer. But as the Bible tells us in the book of Judges chapter 3, that as soon as the people had experienced relief from being delivered, what would they do? They would turn again into idolatry and again into immorality. And so this vicious cycle uh, of turning away from God, repeated itself time after time, generation after generation. What was missing? It is the same thing that is missing today. Godly leadership, godly husbands, godly fathers, godly mothers. And so may the Lord help us today as we consider this thought that fathers are essential. As we think about this, we understand that the family is God's idea. Uh, they didn't come up with this in, in a, a sociological experiment at some university. I'm talking about the family. Uh, they're re trying to redefine it, but they, it's not their idea. This is God's idea. He is the one who, who ordained and established the family. He's also the one who ordered the family. He, the Lord designated the responsibility of the husband. The Lord designated the responsibility of the wife and the responsibility of the children. And if we want to be blessed and enjoy uh, all that God has for us in family life, then we must do what God has designed us to do. So God established the family. He ordered the family. And then God blessed the family. He blessed the family. And no nation, no family has been blessed up to this point, as we come to Joshua 24, like the people of God were blessed. 
the, the, the descendants of, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, those who walked according to the law of God, they were blessed. And in turn, because they were blessed, they were a blessing. Remember what God said to Abraham, I will bless you and I will make thee a blessing. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed because of you, Abraham. And I want to tell you, in your home, your life, God is wanting to use and desires to use your family to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. You see, while American society is, is being torn down block by block to the very foundation, and people see uh, this society and, and the structure of the home as it, is, as it is being destroyed, they're looking to you. You may be the only Christian they know. You may be the only pattern for family life and marriage that they know. And so they're looking to you. And through your testimony, through your life, through the training that you give your children, the families of the earth will be blessed. And as we think this morning concerning this truth that fathers are essential, I want us to note three things. And I also want you to note that these three truths don't just apply to fathers. They apply to all of us. And so may the Lord help us this morning. And number one, we see the essential love of a father. The essential love of a father. Joshua, had, he had led the people into Canaan. He had fought with them side by side as they overcame the enemy. He had been faithful in serving the Lord. He had been faithful in serving under the leadership of Moses. He had a proven track record. The people knew something about his character, and here's what they knew. They knew that he loved God and that he loved them. Do your children know that you love God? Do they know that you love them? And so when he, when he gathered them together and he began to speak to them, you understand there was power in the words that he communicated because his life backed it up. He was a man full of love. And as God's people, we need to be filled with love. And may fathers be filled with love. Now, let me talk to you about how we, look, how we define that love. What is it, how is it described? How, what does it look like? Well, first of all, we need to love the Lord. That's where it all begins, is by loving God. My chief responsibility as a pastor of this church, as a husband of my wife, as a father to my children, is that I need to love the Lord. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter number 6, here we find Moses is speaking to the people of Israel. And he is preparing for his death. And he's brought a new generation. Remember, the old generation died in the wilderness, but he's bringing the new generation in. And they're going to occupy the land. Moses can't go over with them. He smote the rock. He disobeyed God. But he's preparing them for going in. And he's giving them in the book of Deuteronomy, that means the second law, the second giving of the law. It's not a different law. It's just reiterating the truth of the law to a new generation. And he says to them in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. In verse number 7, he says, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. You see, God designed that his law would be taught from generation to generation in the home. It is the responsibility of parents to ensure that their 
children are trained to know God and know his word. The spiritual training of children is the chief responsibility of the parent. And so, uh, friend, if we're going to teach our children, the greatest responsibility that we have is to love the Lord we're teaching them about. If we don't love God, how can we expect them to love God? Have you ever been in a class when you've got a teacher who really doesn't have a lot of passion for what he's teaching? What's the word you use? Boring. That's a boring class. But when you get a teacher who, who's passionate about the subject, he, he can take a boring class, a disinteresting class, and he can make you interested in it. Why? Because you know something about that teacher. He believes what he's saying. And often, too often we've had parents who are bored themselves with the Lord trying to teach their children about God when they have no passion for him. How can we expect our children to love God if we don't love God? So we need to love the Lord. And then as a father, not only should you love the Lord, but you should love your wife. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Children need a secure place to be, and they need to understand that their father loves their mother. By the way, do you want your son, when he's married, to love his wife? Then you better train him how to do that. Love the Lord. Love your wife. Love your children. Jesus said in Matthew chapter number seven, he said in verse number nine, what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? You see, the model of love for a father to his children is the Lord. He's the model for love for a husband to his wife. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. And we're to love our children as our heavenly father loves us. He gives us good gifts. And so we are to love the Lord, love our wife, love our children. We're to love his church. The Bible says in John 13, 35, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Now, what is the church? Though it's not the building, it's not the parcel of ground where we meet together, it is the people. And we are to love one another. We are to love God's church. Remember how much Jesus loved it? So much that he gave himself for it. Are you willing to give yourself for your church? Uh, are, 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 you, are you somebody who loves the Lord's church? Your children know if you love it. They know what you love by what you invest your time in, what you invest your money in. Uh, they know what you love uh, by the importance and the significance that has in your life. Do you love the church? Do you want your children to love the church? Then you need to love the church. Then love your neighbor. The Lord Jesus was asked in Mark chapter 12, what, what, are the, what is the great commandment? What is the, what is the great commandment? What is really the heart of the law? And Jesus said in John or in Mark 12, verse 30, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You know, God has called on us to love our neighbors. The people in Hickory need to know that Tabernacle Baptist Church loves them. And how are they going to know that? Well, we've got to be out and among them. We have to be serving them. We need to love our neighbor. Our neighbor's that one in need. That's what the Lord said. 
And may God help us to show that love. Now, we live in a world that's really mixed up right now, right? It's been mixed up for a long time. And, and we see news coverage and we see people acting out in ways that trouble us so greatly. That righteous indignation can boil up in us, right? And we need to understand we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We are, as Jude said, to have compassion and make a difference in the lives of many. And that can only be done by loving them. And so fathers are essential. Would you agree, church? And that love of a father is essential. Thank God for loving fathers. Gentlemen, let's keep it up. Love the Lord. Love your wife. Love your children. Love the church. Love your neighbor. The second thing that we see that is essential is the essential leadership of a father. The essential leadership of a father. Now, the Bible says in Proverbs 29 and verse 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. When you have a society turn against authority, stand in the face of law enforcement officials, trying intentionally to provoke them, cursing them, doing all manner of things, tearing down monuments. They have no idea what most of them mean. Defying authority. And then you see that the governors and the mayors of the cities and states are doing nothing to stop them. There's one thing you know. We have a lack of leadership in America. And let me tell you where it all began. A lack of leadership in the home. And so may God help us as men, as Christian men, as fathers and husbands, to take the role of leadership that God has called us to take in our homes. Look in verse number 14 again. Now, Joshua's gathered the people together in Joshua 24, and uh, he's talked to them about how good God has been to them, how faithful he's been, how loving he's been, and then he exhorts them and calls them to respond in obedience. Notice verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve you the Lord. And then he says at the close of verse 15, he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the kind of leadership we need today. The kind of leadership that says, wait a minute, I don't care what the rest of the world's doing. I don't care what all the kids are doing. This is what we're going to do in our home. And it's not that you're a bully and not that you're a dictator, but that you are a father who loves the Lord, loves your kids, and is willing to lead them. And by the way, there is a price for leadership, is there not? Now, what kind of leadership should we demonstrate? Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4 gives us the answer. And let me read it to you, Ephesians 6 and verse 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Uh, leaders do not drive people. Uh, they do not frustrate people or push people. They bring them up. Uh, they, they lead them. Now, he tells us the secret of leadership here 
in chapter 6 and verse 4. First of all, he tells us what we shouldn't do. Provoke not your children to wrath. Now, that's the natural tactic of, of, of a lot of us men. Uh, we want to show that we're in charge, and we want everybody to know it in our homes, and we want our kids to do what we say. And as a mother, that could be one of your chief tactics as well, to, to demand uh, that your kids conform immediately. And by the way, we should expect them to behave, right? But there's a way to do it. And he says here, do not provoke them. That means to irritate with unreasonable and overbearing commands and expectations. Now, I've been guilty of this. Uh, please don't ask my children, but I have been because I don't want them to give you examples. And, and so uh, I've been guilty of it, provoking my children. Now, you know what provoked children do? They are provoked unto wrath. He says again in verse 4, provoke not your children to wrath. Uh, then he says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 21, fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Overbearing, unreasonable parents and overbearing, unreasonable fathers can provoke their children to anger. Angry dads make angry kids. Bitter dads make bitter kids. Uh, lazy dads make lazy kids. And you can provoke them to wrath, and you can discourage them. You can break their spirit and wound their hearts. And so if we're going to lead them, we cannot provoke them. That means patience is a virtue, right? The Bible says in Proverbs 16 and verse 32, he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Uh, you know, sometimes when our children don't respond, uh, that 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 can boil up in you. Uh, I know it boils up in me. And uh, we need to learn that God, as James said, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Uh, me getting angry is not going to help my kids. Now, I can be angry and sin not, but acting out in anger, acting out in harshness and provoking my children, that's not the way to lead them. So how do I lead them? Well, Ephesians 6.4 tells me, Provoke, provoking them not to wrath, bringing them up, he says, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Now, the word nurture, that's a tender word, isn't it? That's a loving word. Uh, the word nurture means to train your child, uh, to, to provide them instruction, uh, to create a, an atmosphere of discipline, uh, to teach them uh, the truths that they need. And then admonition, that means to put in mind, it is a warning given to them. Uh, I am to bring them up in the nurture, I'm to train them, and I am to warn them of what will happen to them consequentially because uh, they are not following the truths of God's word. And what we see happening in our society, uh, we've been warned about for years. Pastors have preached, evangelists have preached uh, for years. And yet we have a society that has heard the preaching, rejected it, turned against God, turned against authority, and now we see what is happening in our nation. Now, how do we respond to that? Well, we take care of what's happening in our home and in our church. And the Bible tells us in Proverbs 22 and verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You see, this nurture and admonition, it's not just simply about teaching. It's about training. Now, uh, you, can, you can put somebody in class, and you can teach them all the things they need to know, but then they have to go out and live what they've been taught. Training 
is getting out in the field with them and helping them learn to put what you're teaching them into practice. For example, if you want to teach a young person how to play basketball, you're, you're not going to just sit, sit down in a classroom and explain the rules of the game and tell them, now you're to dribble and, and you're to pass and you're to shoot and you're to rebound and you're to box out, all of those things about basketball technically that they need to do, and then throw the ball out in the gym and say, now y'all go play. No, if you're going to train them, you're going to get out on the floor with them and you're going to walk them through it. You're going to teach them how to shoot a free throw. You're going to teach them the form that they need and where to keep their eyes on the target. And, and you're going to teach them to use their legs and the follow through and how to shoot with their hand, the proper form. You're going to teach them that. And that involves training. And as parents, we're called upon to train our children. I've been reading a book about uh, Booker T. Washington, Up From Slavery is the title of the book. And in that book, Booker T. Washington uh, explains that after he, as a child, was freed from slavery, his family relocated to West Virginia. And while he was there, his desire was to go uh, to a school in Virginia, uh, the Hampton Institute. And uh, before he could go there, he needed to get a job. And so he was working for a lady. Uh, that needed some help. And the reputation of this woman was that she was very harsh and intolerable to deal with. Some of the boys that Booker T. Washington had known or knew had tried to work for her and they had all left her employment. And they said, you'll never work for her. She's just impossible. But needing the money, he decided to go and apply for the position and she hired him. And he said, I learned this lady. I learned what she wanted. I learned what was important. I listened to her. She trained me how to do the job. And I found out that if I would do it the way she wanted it, she was really easy to live with. And she was very good to him. In fact, she helped him throughout his academic training at Hampton. Uh, when he left West Virginia to go to Hampton, he had to... He had to uh, find people who would carry him along the journey. He had to work to try to make money just to buy food. He tells the story of living under a, a wood sidewalk in the city of Richmond for a number of days, working, helping unload ships just to have the money to buy food. So by the time he got to Hampton Institute, he looked rough and he had no money. And he said, I went into the administration and I said, uh, he said, I asked them to let me into school. And he said, I could tell they were very hesitant. He said, I watched a number of applicants come in and they were admitted. And I thought to myself, this isn't looking good. And finally, the administrator said, okay, Mr. Washington, uh, I need you to do something for me. Can you go into the next room and sweep it? And so he went into this room and he took the broom and he said, if there's one thing I know how to do, I know how to sweep. Because this harsh, tough, overbearing lady had taught him how to sweep. And so he said, I went into the room. I, I knew to move the furniture. I opened the closet. I got in the corners. He said, I, I, I let no detail go undone. I swept the room. He said, then I got a cloth and I dusted every piece of furniture. I wiped down the paneling of the walls. He said, I went over it four times. He said, when I was finished, you couldn't find a speck of dirt. Finally, the administrator came in, and, and the first thing that she did was go into the closet and look in the corner, and she found it swept. 
She began to wipe down the walls and try to find any dirt. She found no traces of dirt. And she looked at Booker T. Washington and said, I think you'll do just fine as a student. You see what that lady did for him? That harsh lady that nobody could put up with? She trained Booker T. Washington. He said, I can't go into a building and find something undone or something that's not straight, a picture hanging wrong or garbage on the floor. He said, I can't go into a place like that and not feel like it needs to be done and not address it. You see what happened to him? He got trained. We're to train. I I went to school when I got married. I didn't realize it, but I've learned a lot of lessons. I, I had a friend say the other day that he had nine pillows on his bed that he had to take off before he went to sleep. I read that to my wife. I said, I think we've got nine, don't we? She said, no, we got 11. <laughs> 11 pillows. And when I make the bed, guess what I do? I put all 11 of those unnecessary pillows on the bed. I even have learned that there are two specific pillows that have a bird on them, and you have to turn it so that the bird is facing up, not down. I've been trained. God's called us to train our children. What kind of, what kind of wife do you want for your son? You better train your daughter to be that kind of wife for somebody else's. What kind of husband do you want for your daughter? You better train your son to be that kind of husband. You see, we need to train the next generation. We need to lead them. Now, let me just give you some advice. Be faithful. The greatest thing you can do is to be faithful. Be firm. Be fair. And be forbearing. Be patient. Be kind. Don't be rough and gruff. And I can get that way. Let me tell you, I can. But may God help us. Hey, we need the leadership that fathers provide. That's why we're in a mess in our society. That's why people think it's okay to go deface other people's property. They haven't been taught. They haven't been led. And we need to lead our children. So we see fathers are essential. The essential love of a father. The essential leadership of a father. And then lastly, the essential labor of a father. The message of of Joshua was serve the Lord. Occupy the land. Take care of your family. We are to labor. Now, when Adam sinned in the garden, there was a curse that was placed upon him. And the Lord said to him in Genesis 3 and verse number 19, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return into the ground. For out of it was thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. You see, The Lord said part of the problem with sin is you're going to have to labor in the sweat of your face. And you're going to have to take care of your family to provide for them. You see, God had the fruit growing in the garden. But when when man sinned against God, he left the garden, right? And he had to learn how to till the earth. And there's a great responsibility that all men have, and that is to take care of their families. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 8, if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. The Bible tells us again in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 10, for even when we were with you, we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. 
Now, let me tell you, throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament, God makes provision for the poor. He makes provision for the stranger. He makes provision for those who are disadvantaged. But God says very clearly in his word, if you want to eat, you, le- you better learn to work. We live in a society that rewards laziness, that promotes inactivity. In fact, that's why we have thousands of people in our nation who have plenty of time to march up and down the streets of our cities and destroy them because they don't have productive jobs to do. And I'm not against education. I am for it. I'm just for the right kind. I'm for an education that promotes responsibility, a knowledge of God. That's the kind of education I'm for. One that will lead a young person to contribute to society, that will train them with the skill, not teach them to be discontented with everything in society. We have a lot of activists, but few workers. And we need to teach our children to work, and we need to model it. There's a blessing promised in Psalm 128. In verse number one and two, the Bible said, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. You can't be healthy and happy living off somebody else's labor. You need to learn to labor and go to work and take care of your family. The essential labor of a father, he needs to labor for his family to take care of them, to meet their needs. But here's the really important part of his labor. In fact, it's probably without doubt the most important. We need to labor in prayer for our children. We need to labor in prayer for our children. Someone said that we should talk less about God to our children and talk more to God about our children. You see, I, I talk to my kids a lot. Hey, you know, you know, this is what the Lord wants you to do. This is what God said in his word, and that should be talked about. But I should talk more to God about them because the greatest thing I can do for them is pray for them. I'm reminded of the book of Job, and uh, God blessed Job in a wonderful way. In verse number five, the Bible says that Job... Uh, when the days of their feasting, this is speaking of his children, when they would gather together. He said, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job had said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Here we find Job in the position of prayer and supplication and intercession on behalf of his children. He's concerned about them. He doesn't know what they're doing. There's no reason to believe they've done anything wrong, but he's concerned that possibly they have. And so he gets up early in the morning and he begins to pray and intercede on behalf of his children. How convicting that is. These were grown children. And by the way, when your children are grown, the needs are still great. In fact, maybe greater than ever before to pray for your children. I heard a a man I greatly respect, a pastor, say that nothing will drive you to your knees like your children will drive you to your knees. And the Bible tells us, thus did Job continually. May God help us to labor in prayer 
And then lastly, to labor to train them. Deuteronomy 6, 7, and thou shalt teach them, speaking of your children, thou shalt teach them, and speaking of the law that you're to teach them, thou shalt teach them diligently. That means intentional, purposefully, with effort. I am to teach my children the truths of God's word. Now he says, thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. In other words, every moment in the family, every occurrence, every situation provides me with an opportunity to teach my children truth. It's not just when I say to them, hey, get your Bible. We're going to have a Bible reading and prayer time. By the way, uh, if your family is like mine, that, that can be a really difficult situation, right? That's when the dog barks and the toast burns and the neighbors decide to come over and all kinds of things happen. And it's really difficult to, to, to do that and be consistent, but we need to work at it. And by the way, if you're like me, you've started, stopped, started and stopped, started and stopped, and you feel guilty starting again, start anyway and keep it going. Be diligent. But let me tell you this, some of the, some of the most meaningful moments have been in the most difficult of times. You know, most of you, if you don't have teenagers, uh, you have, you, you'll find this out, but and, and those of you who do have teenagers, you understand how it works, right? Hey, how, how's it going? How was school today? Mm. How's everything in life? Mm. Oh, what else do you want me to say? What more do you want to talk about? These are the kind of responses that I sometimes get. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, I just want to have a conversation with you. Is that so out of the ordinary? But what happens is in times that I don't expect and times that I really may not even welcome it, here comes the little chatterboxes wanting to talk. And I've learned that God works on a schedule that I don't work in. And I've got to be ready and I've got to be open. I've got to be willing. And even in difficult conversations and in difficult times when there's misunderstandings and where there's tension, I found that if I'll just submit to the Lord, learn to try to bring them up and talk through some difficult things, God will work. In the long drives and the discussions on the back porch, I have a moment, I have an opportunity to reinforce what I've been trying to teach them. And so God, his name, his law is on our lips. And the most precious moments are those that are unplanned. They're the moments when we just have discussion, conversation. These are the times when we're able to labor to teach them. And let me tell you what the devil will do. He'll try to discourage you from doing it. He'll tell you it's not doing any good. He'll tell you that you're tired and uh, you just need to you know, get away from conversations. And, and, and he'll work to discourage you greatly. But let me tell you, keep it up. Don't let him discourage you. Don't let him cause you to lose hope. Stay at it. Labor for your family. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall what? We shall reap if we faint not. Thank you for listening to this message 
from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.